You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to our first reading, which will be from Romans chapter 13. We'll read the verses 8 through 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up by this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. We'll turn further in the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read the verses 19 through 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him? Or who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming 
will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not among those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Our text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, the verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Christian life is one of ups and downs, good times and hard times, and it's one that's full of them. That is to say, the Christian life does not last for a moment, but it lasts, in fact, for an eternity. And while we are on this earth, in this broken world, experiencing the effects of sin, it's one of ups, by the grace of God, but also downs, struggles. Think of what happened, for example, with the prophet Elijah. Very well-known account of the life of Elijah. And 2 Kings 18, Elijah had this Huge contest with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah. Elijah was on the top of Mount Carmel. This incredible contest about who is God. Elijah is the only one representing the true God. And there's all these other prophets representing the false gods. And in that contest, Elijah showed, rather, the Lord showed through Elijah That the Lord is God. It was a tremendous triumph for Elijah. After everyone saw the fire come down from heaven and consume the altar that Elijah had built and doused with water, the people repented from their sins. And after three long years of experiencing drought, immediately after this event, the rains came down in buckets. But no sooner had Elijah enjoyed this this great victory and he had gone through this great battle and seen the Lord at work, no sooner had that happened than he suddenly is fleeing into the desert for his life. And in fact, he asks God to end it all for him. He's done. He's had enough. I wonder if you've ever experienced that in your life. You have this time of of great, what you might even call a spiritual high. You've done a week at Stepping Stones. You've had a short-term mission trip. Things have just gone well, very well in a relationship with someone you love. You're experiencing God's blessings in abundance. You're seeing the Lord working and you're, you're feeling The spirit at work, full of faith. But then suddenly, unexpectedly, you crash. Mere days after being on this high, you find yourself in this incredible low. And you're doubting your faith and you're struggling with apathy and complacency. And we don't know exactly what the experience 
was of the people to whom the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, was written. But it seems that they had gone through this time of battle, time of struggle, and they had experienced God's victory within it. You can look in chapter 10, verses 32 through 35, where he says, Remember those earlier days when you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. It was a, a great time of, of seeing God at work. They had endured that difficult time. They had gone through it. But now it seems the beginnings of apathy and complacency are setting in. We don't know if that apathy and complacency is setting in and there's still persecution or if that persecution has ended and then the apathy and complacency are setting in. But whatever the case, in this situation, in this high or in this low, what God says to his church is gather together, keep coming together for worship gather together for worship the lord says because your life depends on it gather together for worship god says like your life depends on it sunday worship is the lifeblood of the christian and of the christian church sunday worship is where we receive the fuel the bread that we need for service if you neglect it If you allow yourself to withdraw from it, if you treat it with disdain, you will lose your lifeblood. You will lose the source of life and you will die. The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not a short-term mission trip. It's not a spiritual high. The Christian life is a marathon with ups and with downs. It's an, and it's a marathon that requires the weekly discipline of gathering together with fellow believers to fellowship with them and most of all to worship God. And so the theme for our sermon this morning as we consider Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25 is gather for worship like your life depends on it. Gather for worship like your life depends on it. We gather to worship, our text says, to stimulate love and good deeds among us. We also gather for worship to eradicate apathy. Worship is the antidote to apathy. And finally, we gather for worship in order to anticipate the day of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So gather for worship in the first place to stimulate love and good deeds. Now, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews 10, look at verse 19. That's where we'll begin as we consider our text. Verse 19 of Hebrews 10 gives the basic reason for coming together before God and worship. And what is that reason? We come before God and worship because we can. Because we can. Because coming near to God in worship has been made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. The author writes there, 
Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The point is clear and it could not be clear. We draw near to God in worship because Jesus Christ is our great mediator, our great high priest, our redeemer. We draw near to God in worship through Jesus Christ because he has made it possible. He saved us so that no longer... Is there any barrier between us and God? No longer do our sins and God's anger stand against us. But it's been washed clean. We've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can come near to him. And by gathering together in worship, thereby we also remain strong in that redeeming and mediating work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to come near to God. And by coming near to God, we continue to stand fast and stand firm in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The reformer Martin Luther said that we need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ every week because every week we're prone to forget about it. The gathering together for worship keeps us strong on the foundation of of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and the reality of God's love and salvation through him. But the weekly gathering for worship is not simply about maintaining that foundation of faith, but it's also about building us up. It's also about fostering and nurturing the output of our faith, which is love and good deeds. That's when we go to our text, that's what The writer of Hebrews says in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you can compare the Christian life to a car, you'd say it's not just about changing the oil. That's maintaining that foundation of the work of Jesus Christ. We don't just need the oil maintained in our car, but we also need constantly to fill up on gas. We constantly need to put fuel in our engine, the fuel that's going to allow us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As the writer says in chapter 12. Now, as we mentioned, it seems that these Hebrews were going through difficult times, times of persecution. Serving Jesus Christ for them meant that they were being mocked and ridiculed. They were being, they were having their possessions taken from them. They were being beaten. They were being thrown in prison. This was a very difficult environment for them to live in. And you can understand the temptation that would have come for them in this environment. The very easiest thing for them to do would have been to quit. Right? You're being persecuted because of Jesus Christ, because you worship him. If you want that persecution to end, then you just stop worshiping Jesus Christ. It's that easy. And you can understand, can't you, how someone could do that. Recently, I read a book about the Christians in China who experienced the time of uh, the reign of Chairman Mao. 
where they were persecuted for their faith. And this heartbreaking account of one Christian who did just that. He couldn't stand the persecution anymore, and so he denied the Lord. And he said every single day, with tears, he would pray to God to forgive him for abandoning his Lord. It's heartbreaking. But it's but it happens because it's the easier way out. The the author to the Hebrews didn't say to those Christians there, he didn't say, well, don't worry about it. The, The blood of Jesus Christ will cover over your sins. You can stay home in full assurance of faith. Now, for that man, we can trust that the blood of Jesus Christ, if he would come to repentance or if he did come to repentance, would cover over his sins. But that's not the way that the author of Hebrews tells the Christians to go. He doesn't say, just just wait this one out at home and come back when it's a little easier to serve Jesus. No, in fact, he says the exact opposite. He says you need to come together because it's as you come together that you can be encouraged to continue to live a God-fearing life, a life that's pleasing to the Lord. He says you can't stop coming together for worship because you'll die. You need to come together for worship in order to maintain your life in Jesus Christ. You aren't being built up and strengthened in the Lord when you sit at home. You're being built up and strengthened when you meet together in worship. And so he says in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the sentence in the original doesn't end there. He says, let us continue Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. That's how we spur one another on, by not giving up meeting together. We need to continue to meet together. And that highlights, of course, the beautiful communal character of Christian worship and the Christian life. And you notice that in this whole section, it's all about we and us and our. It's not me, about me, myself, and I. It's about all of us together encouraging one another to worship the Lord. And the goal of this meeting is love and good deeds. Love, of course, is the greatest commandment. We've heard that again this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest commandment. The most important thing that we do, the purpose for which we've been saved, is to love God and to love each other, to love our neighbor. Paul says that love is the greatest gift. It's even greater than faith and hope. Self-forgetful, faithful, vibrant love expressed in good deeds is what God has saved us for. And therefore, that's how God is working in this world. We can't stay at home allowing ourselves to die, not living a life of love and good deeds. Because God has saved us for a life of love. Loving Him and loving others. If you go back to the car analogy, the car is made for the purpose of hauling people around from point A to point B. That's the purpose of a car. It's made for that purpose. The car isn't doing that. It's no good as a car. 
Well, our purpose is to love God and to express it in good deeds. That's what we were made for. When we're doing that, we're fulfilling the purpose that God has made us and saved us for. If we're not doing that, then we're no good as a Christian. Okay, so what does that have to do again with gathering together for worship? What does that have to do with church? Well, church is where we recall the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without remaining grounded in the forgiveness of our sins, we will be overwhelmed by the trials and struggles of this world. Because it is hard. And because we don't always achieve the purpose that God has made us and saved us for. And because sometimes we are timid and cowardly. And we don't stand up for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we always remain grounded on the foundation of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But church is not only where we may remain grounded, but it's also where we receive the encouragement of the scriptures. God's word is the gas that fills our tank with the fuel for loving and serving God and one another this week. As we meet together around God's word, we are being equipped for service. God's teaching us how to love and how to express our love to him. Church is also where we gather together for encouragement, where we encourage one another in our love and service of God. And this, of course, happens every week as we meet together in the worship service. Have you considered that? Have you ever considered how active you are in the worship service, encouraging one another toward love and good deeds? This happens in the worship service when we pray, when we unite our hearts and our minds together in prayer, and we lift up the needs of one another in the congregation. Where someone is weak, we ask that the Lord would strengthen them. Where someone is is erring, we ask that the Lord would correct them. This encouragement happens every week as we gather together in worship when we sing praises to him. We unite our, our minds, our, our, our voices in praise. And when we do, we, we draw in the weak and we draw in the despondent. As we sing, we encourage others by our singing to praise God. This encouragement happens when we give our offerings. Today, you'll have the opportunity to give your offering for those who are in need. And along with that offering, I'll be telling you that there are great needs in our congregation at this time. You have the opportunity to encourage your brother or your sister who is in need by the offerings that you give. And so as we gather together in worship, you are very active in encouraging one another. But of course, even more happens. You know that as you file out of here, you have the opportunity to interact with your fellow believers and in this way as well to encourage and support one another. It's a it's a beautiful experience. Of course, don't all do this at once, but sometimes it's nice just to stand off into the corner and just watch the interactions going on all around as believers are are conversing and encouraging and speaking to one another, sharing Testimony of God's work and interacting with one another in love. It's a beautiful thing. We need to come together, brothers and sisters, because it's in coming together 
that we are stimulated and encouraged to continue on in our marathon of love. As we talk about all the things that we do in worship, it actually starts to sound kind of silly that some people don't like to show up for worship or that they only like to show up half the time as we gather together. Some people think that we, for some reason, shouldn't do all this twice on Sunday. Some have formal arguments for why not, while others would just rather do something else. We in in the Reformed Church, in this church, have a a beautiful and a long-standing 400 years worth of tradition of gathering together twice on the Lord's Day for worship. We get to do all these things to encourage one another to gather on the Word, not just once, but twice every single week. Now, there are some legitimate reasons, of course, for missing out as we gather together for worship. But those who have those legitimate reasons, they know the experience, the the pain that they feel by not being here. It hurts them. They feel pained when they can't gather together for worship along with the rest of us. They may be forced to listen to CDs or to watch on the live feed But in their hearts, they long to be present where their brothers and sisters are gathered together, where we have the great privilege and opportunity of being right here, right now in worship twice every Sunday. It's a wonderful thing that with a live feed, we can participate in the worship service. But you have to admit that it is pretty hard to encourage one another while you're sitting at your computer chair at home. As Christians, running the race marked out for us, dealing with a sinful heart and a broken world, seeking after God, desiring to give our lives for love and good deeds and devotion to Him, church is the place to be. This is where God builds us up all together, once at least, twice if possible, three times if we could. The more the merrier. Let's not stop meeting together to stimulate a life of love. That's not the only reason for worship. It's also to eradicate apathy. Now, as we talk about coming together faithfully, constantly, consistently for worship, it's easy for that that call to to sound a little legalistic, isn't it? As though what matters is only the fact that you're here warming a pew. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart or in your life at that time. I can imagine that some people feel that if they've just attended church twice, then their elder or their pastor or their family or their friend would just leave them alone and wouldn't care about what else is happening in their life. Well, you're here twice. Great. That's all we need to see. But, brothers and sisters, we need to realize that the issue here is not one of legalism. It really ought not to be one of legalism. And that's a warning for all of us. But why ought the elders and the pastor and family and friends to be concerned when one of us stops showing up, when the rest of us are meeting together? The problem that we ought to be concerned about and that we are concerned about is what that attitude or what the action of not showing up reveals about the attitude of the heart of the worshiper. We're concerned that apathy 
and complacency are beginning to set in. And so we urge to come to church again in the first place so that you too can be encouraged. That's the the best way to deal with the apathy, to be encouraged in your love and good deeds. And also so that that rod of apathy will not be allowed to set in while you sit at home on your couch watching football or playing video games or catching up on your sleep. Among those reading this letter, there were some who had gotten into the habit of not coming together for worship. Verse 25, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Well, what's going on here? Why are they not showing up? Well, it doesn't say, but it's almost certainly because of the spiritual apathy, because of a laziness that has set upon some of the people. And if they were apathetic, or if they weren't apathetic yet, then after missing enough worship services, then they certainly would become apathetic. This, this apathy and complacency is a real threat to the Christians there, and it's a threat that the author to the Hebrews is fighting throughout the letter. It's clear from the overall tone and theme of this letter, which is one of encouragement and warning. The author is encouraging people against this laziness, this apathy, and also warning them of what is going to happen if they allow that apathy and complacency to settle in. And you can see that from specific passages. Maybe you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, right after quoting Psalm 95, which we sang earlier, the author says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, he chides his readers for already having, having fallen into some of this laziness. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. What he literally says there it's, is that it's hard to explain because you're lazy in hearing. You're lazy in hearing. You're not putting the effort into hearing God's word. And then further in chapter 6, verse 12, he repeats this warning against laziness. Chapter 6, verse 12, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. An encouragement and a warning. Spiritual laziness, apathy, and complacency is a real problem. It was very concerning for the author to the letter of the Hebrews, and it's concerning for us today as well. Why? Why does it concern us? Well, at least for two reasons. One, as we've just discussed, love and good deeds is the purpose of the Christian life. This is why we've been redeemed by God. This is what God has made us for. A life of apathy and and spiritual laziness is the exact opposite of what God has made us and saved us for. If your car is broken down in the driveway, it's no good. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It either needs to be trashed or it needs to be fixed. And the second reason why laziness, spiritual apathy and laziness is a problem 
And that's because the person who suffers from this sickness may soon die from it. Now, it may just be a sickness right now, missing half the worship services, sitting through the worship services, but closing your ears, shutting off your heart. It may just be a sickness now. But this book warns us that this sickness can end in death if we don't deal with the problem. It's a sickness, the author says, that leads to death and to judgment by God. And so again, one of the chief concerns of this book of Hebrews is to encourage on the one hand and to warn on the other hand. He says, see to it that no one turns away. He says in chapter 6, land that produces thorn and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. And so, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to one another to encourage one another on the one hand and to warn one another on the other hand. We ought to be concerned when our brothers and sisters are not showing up for worship because it is here that we are encouraged and stimulated for love and good deeds and for a life of serving the Lord. Being in worship helps to eradicate apathy from our lives. We also gather for worship finally to anticipate the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What the author here says is that now is not the time for apathy because the time is too short. In contrast to coming together less for worship, what the author of Hebrews in fact tells us to do is come together more frequently for worship. That's what he says. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Encourage one another for what? I'm quite convinced that he's saying, let's not forsake giving up meeting together, but let's encourage one another in meeting together. We need to meet together more as we see the day approaching. What calls for this intensive, increasing intensity? It is the coming of the day of Jesus Christ. Now that day of Jesus Christ is written about all over scripture. From the beginning to the end, we are anticipating this day. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of separation. The sheep from the goats. Those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and serve him from those who don't. Some will be glorified. Others will be condemned eternally. It's the final day when Jesus Christ will come and will judge the living and the dead. It's the day when God's plan will be revealed. It's the day when God's glory will fill heaven and earth. It's the great day of Jesus Christ. And the author says this day is approaching. Knowing that this day is coming gives focus and intensity to our worship. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13, the night is almost over and the day is almost here. That that day is coming. It's nearer now, Paul says, than when we first believed. And if that was true when Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, how much more true isn't it today for us? That day is almost here. There's focus and intensity to our worship. 
And brothers and sisters, in our worship, we are, we are anticipating that day. We are participating in that day, sorry, already now. As we gather for worship, we're recounting the work of the Lord. We're speaking about what the Lord has done in his salvation. We're talking about what the Lord has done in Jesus Christ and what he will continue to do. That day is the day when his great plan will come to fulfillment and fruition. Every week we gather together to consider what God has done, is doing, and will do until that great and final day. And that day also gives us encouragement because it is the day of the final victory of Jesus Christ. It's the day when the struggles will be over. When our Christian life will move from being a time of highs and lows to a time of being highs. The victory will be 100% complete. When apathy and complacency will be eradicated totally. Where we will no longer have to struggle against ourselves and our desire to come and worship But our whole being, our whole life is going to be consumed by worshiping God. We'll be doing that for which God has made us and saved us. And we'll be able to do it perfectly so that God's name is glorified around the whole world. And nothing stands against it. And so, brothers and sisters, gathering together in worship, worshiping God, participating in that which we will spend eternity doing, is the reminder and the encouragement that we all need. We need it especially now, in these last days. And so let's not stop meeting together. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.